it's never too late. And every human being has the capacity to change. And you don't need to wait until you hit rock bottom. You don't need to wait until you are on the verge of losing your family, on the verge of losing your job, or on the verge of losing your mind. You can start right now. Right now, today, every person can start by reflecting, taking a moment, slowing down, taking a moment to look at yourself and see how can I love on myself today in one small way, just one small thing. What can I do today to show myself love? Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 107. If this is your first time listening to Military Veteran Dad, thank you for stopping by. I know that there are over 1.5 million podcasts in the English language And you showing up on this podcast today means two things. One, you're in for a real treat because our episode today with Rachel and our conversation hits so many truths. And I know that this episode, if you were a dad listening to this, looking for a path home, looking for a solution, and this is your first time really thinking about it, this episode I know is going to change your life. If you've been a longtime listener, you are also in for a special treat because this conversation goes right into so many different topics that we already talk about. And we just continue to nail home so much of what it means to come home is beginning a journey with yourself. And I'll save that for when the conversation gets going because it's so powerful what we Rachel and I talk about of how to start inward before you can go outward. Rachel is a former divorce attorney, and as a former divorce attorney, she started seeing patterns within her practice, and she started having this feeling that she could make a bigger impact at a different stage of the process, that she could actually take what she saw at the end and try to enter it before it got to the point of needing a divorce and try to affect real change in the lives of parents and so much of the problems we see in society. I mean, every week there seems to be some new thing within society that needs to be worked out. At the core of all of that is family. The family structure has been under a complete siege for the last 50 years. And as it continues to fall apart, it's going to take people like myself and Rachel and every other mom and dad out there trying to build a better family and provide better values and blueprints to their kids of what is really possible with life. And as always, if you want to hear what my biggest takeaway is on the podcast for this episode, Hang on for the very back end because I'll be back in the microphone to tell you. And so without further ado, let's just get right into it with Rachel Duffy. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. So happy to be here, Ben. Thank you. I'm excited because if based on the conversation we had before we hit record, this episode is going to dive into areas we dive into lots of times in the podcast, but they're going to hit very close to home because Rachel helps parents come back home to their families very much like I do on this podcast. And she helps it from the business mindset as well. So, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your little about your family and your background. Well, I'm a former divorce attorney turned parenting coach. I served in the Israeli military for three years, so I have a soft spot for military dads and moms and veterans. 
you know, I was always attracted to this dynamic within the family. And originally I had explored it from the place where it quote unquote breaks down during divorce, but I realized that I could be more of service and more of help to families and children in particular, if I explored it um, one step before that happens. And so when I became a mother myself, I have three young children. I was really challenged to get, I had to get very honest with myself to both look at and acknowledge my egoic agendas within parenting. How do I shift out of those? Because they were, they were a recipe for not only disaster, but frustration and resentment and unhappiness. And I was feeling parenting was bringing out the worst in me. And I knew deep inside, I knew I have more, there's more to it than this. I knew I could be better. And I started diving into conscious parenting and it changed my life so profoundly that I got certified as a coach by Dr. Shafali, who is the pioneer of conscious parenting in the United States. And I've been coaching parents ever since. And I find it not only fulfilling for me personally, but so such a privilege to be able to watch families shift and release themselves from suffering and really step into a much more powerful, grounded experience and have the whole family thrive. That's really what, at the end of the day, what we all want. And it's weird because the American dream says that that's all possible, but within the implementation of the American dream, almost every family gets it wrong. And I mean, there's a reason why the divorce rate is 50% because so many people operate on the standard programming that's provided, but that standard programming isn't getting the results that people are desiring, but yet they just kind of keep doing the same routine. And I've talked about a couple times in the podcast that I think some of that mindset that we get stuck into that prevents us from even opening up to the idea that a coach could help you through this is consumerism is built on patterns and consumerism and capitalism both wants us to stay in patterns. So as long as we stay in patterns of thought and habit, then consumerism and capitalism stays thriving but nothing about those patterns is producing results. So we have a, a struggle to interrupt those patterns. We're like, do I really need to go to Target every weekend and f spend money? Wait, I don't think I do. And But <laughs> Target wants you to think that. And it's those little small little patterns where when you recognize that you can interrupt it, that then you can begin like, I think there is a better way to parent and I can try to find it. There was an author, Scream Free Parenting, Hal Runkle, I've read that book in November and December, and it really helped me open up to the idea and validate a little bit of what you know and what I know now to be true of the process to come home to your family actually begins in the, mo the last place you're going to look. It begins with starting with yourself. That's so much of what I know you already know when you come to a, a parent and a child, so much of what you bring to this child in all the scenarios is most likely a reflection of something you feel on the inside, not a reflection of what kids see. And it's that first step, like I'm the one that needs the work, not necessarily the kids right away. I love everything you said. And there's so much to unpack in there. So such a rich dialogue because the fact that you brought up consumerism, um, I talk about this a lot. You know, we are in our capital society, capital capitalist society, we are set up to want more. 
the job title, a bigger salary, a better office, a bigger house, more children, more, 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 more is better. That's how we set our institutions up because that's what our economy is based upon. Not saying that that's a bad thing, but when we're oblivious to it, when we don't know that that is what is happening, we get sucked into this matrix of wanting more and nothing is good enough. Nothing is ever enough. Every time you achieve something, you realize, oh, I'm only at the bottom of the next mountain I want to climb. So we're on this constant quest for more, never feeling happy with what we have. And that goes much deeper than just us wanting more things, it goes deeper because we are also never satisfied with what is going on internally, with our internal landscape. And that is actually why we end up at Target every week on autopilot, because we're trying to fill a void inside of us. Where we trip up is we're trying to fill it with external validation things, uh, bank account, cars, et cetera. Not realizing, not realizing we're never going to fill that void because it can only be filled from within. I think the first step is to open our eyes to this matrix that we live in. Not to say that we're going to remove ourselves from it because this is our reality. We live in this amazing country and we want to continue living in it and serving it. But just understanding the rules of the game and understanding that there is a game going on. And you can decide, you know, I'm taking a time out right now and going, reflecting inward for a minute to see, have I met my own emotional needs? And if not, how can I do that? Because until I've met those needs, how could I begin to meet the needs of another human being? Whether it's my friend, my boss, my parent, my child, my spouse, it doesn't matter. But you cannot meet the needs. You can't even see the needs of another human being until you have seen your own first and met them. And what you're also speaking to there is that we buy those things to project love and then have these things come into our life, whether it be an Apple Watch, whether it be an iPhone or the latest iPad or the biggest TV. All of those things are to try to bring love into your life. And no amount of love coming into your life is going to fill that void. And until you acknowledge that, until you can love yourself enough and bring that expertly to everybody else, nothing you buy, no matter how much you have. I mean, no, nowhere do you need to see this proof positive is to look at the rag sheets at the grocery store. Just because people have everything doesn't mean they're happy. Like there are many people in Hollywood. They have everything that anybody as a regular middle-aged American wants but they are as miserable and on a routine of just trying to figure out what happy looks like. And many of them are depressed and they have everything that we in the middle area want. And it's proof that all of those things doesn't build happiness. Cause if you don't find it on the inside, nothing on the outside is ever going to make it better. And that's what we bring to insecurity of our kids as well is we looked, I mean, there's also a whole world where people look to their kids to feel that love that they can't even love themselves and they kind of live vicariously through their kids or they rely on their kids to meet their own human needs. And that's also a dangerous slippery slope because kids are not a reliable source of condition, unconditional love. I mean, sometimes they can be, but other times they can be like flamethrowers and they can burn you and it, you're going to get hurt in that mode. And you're going to react because you're like, you were supposed to give me love, not burn me. And we don't approach those modes either that well. Absolutely. And, you know, and I want to make a confession here on the podcast 
I became a mother in hindsight. When I look at it in hindsight, I became a mother because I wanted to produce humans that would love me unconditionally. I thought, okay, I have to be loved unconditionally. This is the secret to life. Right? (laughs) We all want to be loved unconditionally. I didn't get it from any other source. You know, my parents, God bless them. They're amazing parents, super devoted, loving, but they did not love me unconditionally, even though they wanted to, nor did I get it from any other relationship that I had been in, any other adult relationship I had been in. So I thought, you know what? Subconsciously, I didn't have this thought consciously, but subconsciously I thought I'm going to have kids. They will finally love me unconditionally. And what I learned is exactly what you said. They are not here to meet my unmet emotional needs. That's my job. And by the way, if you want unconditional love, get a dog. The kids are their own sovereign beings. They come into this world and my job as a parent is to help usher their growth, is to be their guide, but it is not to meet my own unmet needs through them. They are not here to live out my unmet potential, all the things I didn't get to do, the things I did not have in my childhood because maybe my parents couldn't afford it. And now I can afford to give those things to my children. They're not here for that. They don't care about any of that. They're here to be loved and to be acknowledged and to for me to see their wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, whole. And, you know, back to what we had discussed just a minute ago about how we try to externally fill that void within us. It's not just our happiness that we're trying to, in a race to get, it's validation and worthiness. And that's really what underlies our drive for more. Because if we have more, we think it means we are worthy. If we have what all those Hollywood actors and actresses have, then it makes them better in some way. It makes them more worthy. But as you as you said, it doesn't because it has nothing to do with worthiness. Worthiness is not about you know how many cars we have or how much money we have. It's about an internal experience that we have or don't have. It's about our ability to love ourselves just the way we are, to be able to see all the different parts of us, including parts that are not so flattering, that we may not like, that we all have, right? We're not, none of us are perfect human beings. We all have deficits. We have, you know, shadow parts. The question is, can we see those parts within ourselves and not repress them, not ignore them, not push them down, not try to make them go away, rather love them and accept them. And when we can do that for ourselves, we can also model it for our children and show them how to do that as well. And how would that set them up differently if we could do that for them? You mentioned worthiness, and that was something we talked about before we hit record, and I want to go in there a little bit, that you pointed out to me that, and I hadn't fully seen it in the way you pointed it out, that many military dads 
it's easy to find worth while you serve because it's issued to you. Like everything else in the military, they want you to have it, they'll issue it. And you feel worthy because you put on a uniform, what you feel is noble. You feel like you're doing a just cause that a very few people do. It feels really good on the inside. And then you transition out and that's taken away. And if you haven't dug deep or maybe you join, I mean, many military men and women join for lack of an identity, lack of love in their life, lack of direction. And so the military issues you want, and it's very dangerous if you don't look at that of like, what happened? Why did I join the military? And then look at why did I leave in the military and understanding what's underneath both sides of that transition. Go ahead and talk a little bit about that worthiness component that you were unpacking there. I think that's really such a good point because you're right in the military, when we're in that role and we have a very clear mission of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. And then we complete our missions because we're all good soldiers. I was a good soldier too. And I enjoyed that feeling of achievement, right? I did my job and I did it well. And I, I felt proud of myself. My country was proud of me, right? How many people, every time you meet a service, someone who's been in the service or who is in the service, you say, thank you, right? We all say, thank you for your service. So as military people, we are also accustomed to the rest of the population feeling gratitude towards us, right? It fills us with purpose. I must be doing something very worthy if everybody is thanking me for it. And so that's not to say that we go into the military in order to be thanked. We don't. We go into the military because we believe, you know, we believe in the in the purpose and in the mission. Having said that, the experience of constantly being thanked for what you do for your job is abrupt and so different from when you transition back into your everyday civilian life where you get thanked for nothing and you get acknowledged for nothing. And naturally it raises the question, okay, then what am I worth? What value do I bring? Obviously, I don't bring any value because nobody's been acknowledging anything I do. In fact, I feel I'm bringing less value now that I'm back. My family has somehow figured out a way to survive and even to thrive in my absence. So they don't need me. So who needs me? What is my worth? What is my value? And unless we can answer that question internally, unrelated to any other human being, then we will be in an, in a problem. Then then we'll have a huge problem if we cannot find our worth within ourselves. There was something when you were talking about being thanked that I was reminded of that, and often and I never really paused or really consciously frame it this way. But when people thank me, like the first instinct almost is. It, I'm not worth being thanked. Like I don't consider what I did special even. So a lot of veterans, even they might find what they did noble, but they don't consider it special and they don't like being labeled special, but that's often what pe- they feel like when they get thanked is I don't really want to be labeled as special because I just did a thing and I don't consider it a big thing. I just did it and it's over and I'm moving on. And that acknowledgement almost is a rejection of our worth, but then also a reflection that, we have the gap inside of worth as well. That if we that is probably an insecurity of mine, my own. That when I feel like oh, I'm not worthy of it, like I'm not even acknowledging 
my own worth while serving and I'm disenfranchising it and just coming up with reasons of why I'm not worth it. And I'm just pushing aside all the good reasons that I am worth it. Even when people try to bring it to my attention, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go back to my default. Like I'm not worth it. Right. So when somebody acknowledges and says, thank you. And then we feel when we feel uncomfortable with that, thank you, or with the praise or with the recognition, that's a sign. That's a clue for us to say, Hey, you know, there's something inside of me. If I cannot just accept this praise or this gratitude, what is really going on inside of me? Because the person who is saying, thank you, is just saying, thank you. You know, I talk about this with my own children when they get praise and when they get the opposite of praise, what would we say when they are reprimanded for something? Those are, those are equal in my mind. When I like, so in my social media, for example, when I get trolled or when I get praised, it's equal. It's just how somebody else is experiencing me. And that's okay. They have their experience of me, but I know that it does not reflect on either side. It doesn't reflect well, and it also doesn't reflect poorly on my worth because my worth has nothing to do with how another person experiences me. If somebody says to you, thank you for your service, all you have to do is just in a neutral way say, hey, you know, you're welcome or no problem or happy to do it, whatever, you know, whatever your natural response would be in your words. But if it triggers you, if there's a discomfort, pay attention to that. Lean into that discomfort and get curious about it. Part that I want to go towards is when we have these discomforts and the pandemic has magnified them, and we talked about it before we hit record, that our kids are experiencing an increase in sadness, an increase in anxiety, an increase in uncertainty, that their ability to even provide half the output of, of love or just happiness or go lucky kids is diminished greatly. And they're often reflecting that towards us. And when it's met with our own baggage, it's almost like a perfect storm, which creates that yelling and fight or flight where we usually fight and try to dig in and try to throw our weight around and our power. What have you experienced in the past year with your coaching and working with different parents on working through when your kids are also experiencing that and bringing you even heavier stuff and you're also still got heavy stuff as well. So, you know, first of all, we have to understand as human beings, we are programmed to want stability and predictability. Those are key components of survival. So it's not surprising that when situations arise that are very uncertain, like this pandemic, it makes us very uncomfortable. Now, the truth is life was just as uncertain and unpredictable before the pandemic. The pandemic has not made life more uncertain. It just forced us to face that uncertainty. Whereas before, I think we could get away with hiding from it. We, we could do a better job at deluding ourselves that things were predictable. We have a routine. We're in our groove. We know what's going to happen. You have what your credit cards. You have your job. Those two things can keep moving and I can keep buying happiness from the future. Exactly. We padded ourselves with these delusions and the pandemic kind of stripped that away from us. 
And that wasn't even a gradual process. It happened almost overnight. So that is normal to cause anxiety. I mean, who show me one single human being on this entire planet who has not felt anxiety since March. Not, not a single human being. So first of all, it's normal. It's normal to be anxious about this. Number two, let's take accountability for the fact that one of the reasons we feel anxiety is because right now our reality does not meet our expectations. We would like for things to be a certain way. We want them to be the way they were before, and they're not. There's a huge gap there. So that gap is anxiety provoking for all of us, right? This is, this is actually one of, the, um, one of the ways anxiety bubbles up in every person, regardless of this pandemic. So first, the first step I, I kind of help people through when we're talking about anxiety is, first of all, let's take accountability. We created this anxiety within ourselves because there's this gap. So let's just acknowledge that, A. B, let's accept it. And when I say accept it, what I mean is there are things outside of our control. In fact, most things are outside of our control. When this pandemic ends is not in my control. It's not. So we have been, many of us have been holding our breath collectively and wondering, when is this going to end? When am I going to go back to normal? And instead of doing that, because that also in and of itself creates anxiety, can we stop trying to put a square peg in a round hole? Can we accept the rules of the game have changed? It's okay to say, I don't like this new reality. I don't like it either. I'm not really happy about this either. But I do accept that it's here. And I am not counting the days until we go back to normal. In fact, I don't even know if that's ever going to happen. I honestly don't know what the future will look like a year from now. And nobody does really. So accountability, acceptance. And the third step, which is the most difficult for all of us, is tolerance. And what I mean by that is, can we tolerate having these feelings that we don't like? We want to get rid of these feelings. They're uncomfortable. They stir things up for us. Our children are also going off like crazy. It's, it's not fun. But the more, the more we can learn how to manage and tolerate our feelings of discomfort, specifically around uncertainty, the more we will be able to create a good experience for ourselves in life in general, not just during this pandemic, but in general in life. Tolerating difficult emotions, in my opinion, is the key to how you experience life. And when you've mastered that and you can model and then also teach it to your children, then that, that's a game changer in, in your parenting experience and just in your experience as a human being. There was a part that you reminded me of that I first heard, I think, I remember where I heard it, but it was about the greatest generation and the depression, that when the greatest generation was interviewed, that one of the things they said with their kids is they wanted a better life than they had. And by all means, I mean, the life was really hard during the Great Depression. Why wouldn't they want a better life? But the irony is the one thing that made them the greatest generation was the one thing they wanted to make sure their kids didn't experience. 
And it was the pressure and the adversity and just the sheer grit that it took to get through that decade that made them who they were. And that, well, they're, they're tough as nails. Well, they went through hell. And that was the one thing we wanted to take away from our kids because, but yeah, at the same time, that's what creates endurance and the ability to create tolerance is living with pain, but that's what they wanted to remove. And it was, it pointed out the irony of how we approach life that we always want our kids to have a better life, but oftentimes we're not delicate enough to be conscious of what we're actually removing that gave us who we were and then what we can do for our kids. And there was another concept that really hit me. I don't know if I've ever really thought about like this, but one of the things that I realized quickly the pandemic did was it slowed everything down. And I everything just become, almost got to a stall. And life was going so, so fast. Somebody, everybody was just so caught up in the consumerism of sports, kids. Everything was just this rat race that everybody was in. And when you're going super fast, everything is a blur. And if you're in that pattern of speed, you can't really see what's going on around you. And when you slow everything down, you become conscious to this place is a freaking mess. And that in itself creates uneasy because you're like, you're almost working through the forgiveness part of who you were when you were running very fast. You're like, man, what was I becoming? And you're like, glad I'm, I'm so glad I slowed down. But you're also just so much more aware because everything is moving in slow motion. Like, there's so many days where I just want to get out of this house because I'm tired of staring at the same four walls because nothing is moving in these four walls except stuff from the kids playing with toys. I want to experience, I want to be, I just want to go on a day long road trip sometimes. Like that's where my heart is right now, but I don't get that. And I have to find the tolerance and I miss being able to travel for work. I miss being able to experience all of those, those things where life was moving in my, I felt like my, my view of life was changing. I think that's something we also, the view is consistent and, and it's very uncomfortable sitting with the same view, especially if you have these holes in your life and anxiety and tolerance and your love for yourself, it gets very uneasy for how we go through the day. Absolutely. So good. That That's so good because that is the truth. That rat race that we were in was our way of numbing and distracting ourselves so that we don't have to look at all these things. It's almost like you said in the beginning, it's the American way, right? But now you're right. What this pandemic has done for us is it's forced us to slow down. Not only that, it's stripped away the, all the masks that we had, right? We had all these ways in which we were able to portray an image of ourselves that we liked, right? Let's say I put on my fancy clothes and I go to work in the morning. I'm a very important person. I have this image. All of a sudden, I've been in my pajamas for 10 months. My children barge into the room. My, my house is a mess. There's constant chaos, yelling, kids stomping when I'm trying to, you know, do something quietly, right? So all these things that we did such a good job of hiding now are all out in the open for the whole world to see, right? Because now that we're on Zoom, we're also connected globally in a different way and we're exposed in a different way. It feels very vulnerable and almost naked, you know? So that is a very very uneasy, like you said. And also, you know, to your point about the generations that came before us and, and what they went through, you're right. Every generation 
naturally wants a better future for their children. I think that's a natural desire we have as parents to want things to be better for our kids. Having said that, there is no such thing as life without pain. Pain is part of life. One step further, pain is actually the portal to growth. Because if you look back at your life and if, you know, past generations look back at their lives, the hard times, the painful times, those are the times where they were able to shine. Those are the times where they were able to grow, rise above, really see what they were made of as humans, you know? So we shouldn't try and take this away from our children. We shouldn't try and rob them of their experiences that will be painful. Instead, can we learn to tolerate our pain and witnessing them in pain? It's super hard for a parent to witness their child going through some sort of emotional pain and fight the urge to take it away from them. Where it's it goes against our wiring, against our grain, against what we think is our job as good parents. So it's it's really counterintuitive and it takes a tremendous amount of consciousness and trust. Trust in our children that they are capable of experiencing big feelings, difficult feelings, uncomfortable feelings, and that it will not kill them. There was two points that I that came to me, and I never really framed it this way. But when we were talking about having a, our kids have a better life, it hit me that I don't want my kids to have a better life. I want them to be more capable in their life. And you're only going to be more capable when you put them through mini tests under controlled circumstances. It allows, allows them to create the growth, the mindset, and the muscle strength in many cases to do things when life gets tested that they don't bounce off the water. They just keep going. And that's a way I'm going to look at parenting now because I often, often we often default. I think it's probably just part of the American dream where you should, they should have more toys under the Christmas tree. That's what you want for your kids to be successful. Nothing about that is going to make them more capable. If anything, it's just going to wire them to do some of the same stuff you do at Target every weekend that, oh, I need this stuff under the Christmas tree to be happy. And you talked about pain and growth. And that is something that I talk a lot about military dads, that when we learn to walk through our pain is one of the greatest teaching tools that we can use to create more capable adults. Like no matter what pain or trauma you experience as a parent, mom or dad, that pain can be such a powerful teaching tool. And there's been one technique that I've been doing with my daughters. And because I'm an emotional person, I feel like I gifted them high emotions as well. And I don't know where this is going to lead, but I have to feel like it's the right thing that my four-year-old, even just last night, she was in her room just bawling her eyes out because she wanted someone to help her clean up her big mess that she did with the Barbies. And she's done this routinely and she's routinely cried. And this particular time, and I usually do it pretty well most times. Sometimes I'm just at my wit's end and I don't do it as well. But I just sat with her and held her while she cried. I didn't really say any words. I just let her cry and I held her. And what I've learned as a father, especially to daughters, that when you tap into your masculine strength, your strength can be calming. And I've done it with my eight-year-old who as well come to me just with just super, just walks up and starts crying for something that's really heavy. And I don't say a word. I just hold her. I let her express it. And I just be there as an anchor for what they're feeling. And 
But again, I can't do that if I feel emotionally charged. And so I'm, I do it well when I'm in control of who I am and I do it badly when I'm feeling insecure about who I am. Absolutely. And you know what I love in this story? There were two things. One is in your highest moments, in your best moments, you are able to tolerate their pain. You don't try to fix it. You just let them have it. And you know what? It goes through you just like any other feeling, just like happiness also on the flip side is not a feeling we can hold on to that happiness no matter what either. So feelings come and go and it's okay. Just as the the good, quote unquote, good feelings that we enjoy, they go, they pass through us. So do the feelings we don't enjoy. And you being able to just be there with them so they know I'm here, you're not alone. I see you're experiencing pain. I see you're crying about something. You're unhappy. I'm just here as a witness with you. That is exceptionally empowering to them. And subconsciously, it sends them the message, A, I'm capable of getting through this. My dad obviously trusts me that I can handle this. He doesn't think I have to numb this. He doesn't, he's not anxious himself. And he's, it's okay for me to not be okay sometimes. So you're sending them these super important messages. The other thing I loved about your story is that you acknowledge sometimes I am not at my best. Sometimes I mess that up. And that's human, right? How many times do I mess up parenting? Oh my goodness, like I can't even count. Yesterday or a couple hours ago <laughs> is what I usually joke about. Exactly. And in, in 20 minutes, I'll mess it up again. That's okay. It's not about nailing it and getting it perfectly and somehow curating this perfect experience for me as a mother, for my child, for them to grow up and say, I had the most amazing mom. No, they're probably going to be on a therapist couch sometime, you know, 15 years from now or whatever, complaining. Trying about to figure out why their mom brought them in the world to, to meet their her human needs. <laughs> exactly. But it's about us just moment after moment seeing, oh, you know what? This is what was going on really in this moment. I hadn't done a good job of meeting my own needs. So I tried to get them met through my child. It backfired. And... I'm going to get better at recognizing the signs that I need to maybe take some time for self-care, that I need to meet my own emotional needs. Then, then I have a better chance of being able to truly meet my child where they're at, as opposed to me trying to get what I need out of my child first. So much of that hits right home. And it, it this might get a little bit woo-woo, but it I hit me that what... I've often, you often hear talking about feelings being related to energy and energy flows through you. And if you're into meditation, you, you're in this world of energy travels through you and you're wanting it to travel through you. You want your heart to feel like it's flowing through you. You don't want things to get stuck. And it hit me that like when you're talking about happiness and sadness being temporary, happiness pretty much flows through without really getting stuck. But those, the sadness stuff, it gets sticky and it, it's almost like as we feel insignificant on the inside, almost thorns come out intentionally to catch whatever sadness comes in because it's it's attached to the feeling that we used to have. It's probably triggered from something in our childhood where we have it's still sticky and we haven't let go. 
And I hadn't really framed it that way, that when those negative feelings are going through, the reason why they feel like they're stuck is because I created a sticky moment inside that attached to that feeling and didn't allow it to flow through. And it's the the polarity. It's just like what I do with happiness, like vacations are a good example. They come, they have a great experience and they go and it's generally a little bit sad, but you get over it. There's not much sticky about that. But when it comes to something that triggers that feeling of insignificance, that stickiness can really, really hold you back from doing anything really that feels like being a good parent in those moments. That's such a good observation. And I think part of it is because when we experience happiness, we allow ourselves, because we've been conditioned this way, we allow ourselves to really feel it. We feel it in our bodies, even physically. We enjoy that feeling of excitement, happiness, uh, any, any positive emotion that you can think of, you could probably identify how it feels inside your body. Whereas when we're feeling difficult feelings, we've been conditioned from very early on to ignore it. And we do this as adults too, right? How many times, certainly parents do this, but how many times have you gotten up in the morning and not felt great? Maybe you didn't sleep well, maybe you have a headache, but you power through anyway. You ignore it and you power through because that's what you're supposed to do. Whereas, and as so we've been conditioned, we've become such masters at ignoring physical sensations in our body that we don't like. And when we do that, when we get really good at ignoring physical sensations in our body, we disconnect from feelings. And then when we get the feelings, we can't let them go through us because we cannot tolerate them physically. So we ignore that. Or we numb with some kind of medication, like, you know, take a Tylenol or whatever, anything symptomatic, right? We just, we want to cover up the symptoms and we don't feel it, not physically and not emotionally, but we only do that with the negative feelings because that's what we were taught as kids because our own parents also couldn't tolerate our difficult feelings. So they tried to numb it, push it down ignore it. They taught us all these tactics because they were taught those tactics too. So now here we are. Now we're the parents. We have to learn not only to tolerate our own pain. Now we have to learn how to show our children how to tolerate so that their feelings don't get stuck when they grow older. There was a Real clear moment that when I say it, every parent listening to this is going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm missing a moment to respond differently. Every time you tell a child to stop crying, you're conditioning them that what they're feeling is bad, that they produce the incorrect response and they should feel shame connected to that. Now, as a young child, they're not conditioned to really deeply learn that lesson, but subconsciously, they will remember that lesson and they will remember that it's not always okay to cry. And if you talk, I mean, think of how many men in our country today are conditioned that men don't cry. I regularly cry at happy endings all the time. My kids find it hilarious. And it's just something I did and I do. But that's not how people are wired to express their feelings. And every time you hear the words in your head go, stop crying, this is actually a moment where you could choose to respond differently of just being with them and hugging them and it's almost magical when you've 
don't feel sticky on the inside and you can enter your child when they're crying and hold them. Like my four-year-old, it's almost like I'm a magician because just in a few seconds, I can help her calm that uneasiness that she's feeling that's creating the internal uncertainty that she doesn't know where to go or she can't know what to trust. And if her father's love is there, it's a very grounding feeling. And I don't know, again, it's all an experiment because my kids and my daughters are so young, but I'm positive that grounding feeling from their father's love will hopefully anchor them as they go into their own life and they go into marriage and as mothers because they aren't as uneasy because their father was in those micro moments reaffirming that it was okay to feel and I'm loved and I'm more than whatever I'm feeling as well. That's something that I've, I try to do with my kids as well. Right. Not to mention that, you know, as parents, as uh, not just parents, but uh, adults who are the primary caretakers for their children, most of the time it's parents, but sometimes it's grandparents. Especially in the pandemic. Yes. Right. We set the emotional blueprint for our children. They're creating a blueprint right now. One day they will operate from this blueprint. So for your daughters, when they grow up and if they pick a, a partner in life who is a male, they will revert back to this blueprint that you're setting for them right now. How did my father respond when I was in pain? Was he able to just contain it? Was I, was I made to feel bad for crying? Was I made to be afraid of my own negative feelings? What, what were those blueprints that were set very early on? Subconsciously, they get filed away. And then when we grow up and we choose a partner, we are wired to choose a partner that will repeat this dynamic for us. That's how we're wired. So if we're setting a blueprint where our caregivers of the same sex uh, model how to fe- how to be authentic, how to be um, how how to be uh, with our feelings, how to allow feelings then we will be able to follow that blueprint for ourselves. And then when it comes to choosing a relationship with the opposite sex, we will revert back to the blueprint that we had with our opposite sex parent. So fathers with daughters, it's a crucial blueprint that I think we don't even know that we're setting. I don't think we're aware really of the monumental role we have, and certainly fathers with daughters have a monumental role. And if there's, you know, if there's one thing I would like fathers who are listening to this to take away from it is you are setting the blueprint for your daughter's adult relationships with men the rest of her life. There could not be a more important role. And it was, that's where actually where my, like my first, like, cause I, I read a book, strong father, strong daughters by Meg Meeker when my daughter was like two. So I only had one at the time. And that book really scared the hell out of me of what I was in for. And just the sheer blueprint, like you're, you're talking about that I provide her. It really started making me ask better questions. Cause I'm like, I'm not prepared for this journey. I am not the man that I want her to compare to. And but this is also why I, I love this podcast because military dads are we have the capacity and the the pain, the endurance, and our own blueprint of how our own life and military taught us to gift our our daughters a blueprint that allows them to go out in the world to ask bigger questions, to do bold things, to have courage, to starve for fear, 
to realize her worth doesn't come from Instagram. And we can do that in a way that creates a very strong woman that understands how who she needs to be. And I've often joked that a dad at the door with a shotgun is a dad that knew he set a low bar. But if you are the dad that reaffirms the blueprint of who you want your daughter to go out in the world to find, you should have no fear because she will always come to the conclusion on her own. This guy's not like my dad. Right. And if you have set the blueprint, not out of fear, there, there should not be any fear in your relationship with your daughter, right? She's not going to obey you, obey you because she's scared of you. She's going to work with you because you love her, because you see her, because there is abundance rather than lack, because there is love rather than fear in your relationship. And that's what she's going to go look for someday outside of your family. And you're absolutely right in this. We should, if we are true to that, if we ground ourselves in our own love for ourselves, in abundance within ourselves, then we can trust our children that that's what they're going to seek on the outside. They're not going to tolerate, our daughters are not going to tolerate a man who tries to control them or who mistreats them. Or who runs when I get worried or when I get sad. Yes. They're not going to tolerate that. They're going to look for a man that welcomes her into his arms to, to anchor her because that's what her father did. Absolutely. And also, you know, and not to minimize the role fathers have with their sons, because these sons grow up to be men. And these men then operate both in relation with themselves and in relation with their counterparts, their life partners. So, you know, we are also raising boys to become men who will then be partners with other girls like our daughters. So, you know, we have a responsibility, either gender, it doesn't really matter if we're raising girls or boys, just for us to understand how deeply ingrained this relationship, the parent-child relationship is. And I always say that the reason I work with parents is because, you know, not all of us grow up to become parents. Some people don't want to become parents and that's fine but we all had parents. We were all children at one point. As adults, before we embark on any kind of relationship, whether it's with another adult or with a child, we have to reparent ourselves first. And that is the true work that I do with parents is I help them reparent themselves so that they can be better human beings and also better parents. That's a very powerful ending there because a powerful question that I first learned from Tony Robbins is he often asks, whose love did you crave the most growing up and what did you have to do to earn it? And it's a powerful question that I bring to men because a huge component of what they expect to feel or what they desire to feel in their marriage, what they're not feeling is rooted in their own insecurity around whatever they had to do. And it's kind of rooted in the love languages, but to me, the one part of the love languages is that flawed is that it doesn't really talk about living a full life of love on your own. It really talks that like there's this codependency and in some cases it works in marriage, but in a lot of cases it doesn't. You have to go into a marriage with a whole heart, especially if the other spouse isn't, is, is maybe going through their own trauma or maybe has a storm going on in their own life. You need to learn to 
to create that abundance of love on your own. So that way you can bring it and be that grounding source for the other person. So it's rooted in that, but there's so much power in unpacking, like, what did you have to do for that love when you grew up? And so much of that even shows up in your work and shows up in how you connect with people. What are you expecting from every time you say hello? Are you looking for people to validate you? Are you looking for people to validate your job? Like all of that stuff is rooted in the stuff from kids. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, as kids, because we are dependent upon our parents, right? We can't survive if our parents don't love us and take care of us. We're going to bend ourselves into a pretzel and do whatever we need to do to gain that love. And as parents, you know, even those of us who grew up with loving, well-meaning parents, like my parents were, were and are great parents, but I still had to bend myself into a pretzel to gain their love because I needed to make sure 100% there could not be a shadow of a doubt that I was pleasing them, right? Because that guaranteed that I would be loved. But in the course of doing that, we lose ourselves. And then we grow up and now we're adults and now we're looking for other people to fill those holes as we you know, started the conversation with. And once we can find that abundance within ourselves, reparent ourselves and receive, give ourselves exactly what we needed in our childhood and didn't receive, not because our parents were bad, but because we, we just didn't. That's just the fact. That is such a more, not only grounded, but powerful place to be as a, as a person, as an adult. And when you lead your life from that place of being powerfully grounded, how does that change every dynamic in every relationship that you have. When you don't need somebody else to meet your needs, how differently can you show up in this world? Amen. And there was a huge part of my journey that really catapulted December of last year that it really hit me as I looked in the mirror that I can't unconditionally love the people in my life until I unconditionally love the person looking back in the mirror. Amen. That is strong. Little did I know the pandemic was the vehicle of testing to reveal that inner love and to work on that. And turns out I'm still being tested throughout the, into 2021. But it was the beginning of that recognizing that that journey within the mirror is actually that first one for you as a parent to become a better parent than yourself. Like you often think it's, oh, it's like I got to like be like nanny 911 on ABC when that show was on. And you, there's always just these tactics or I just got to learn to count to three properly. It's, I mean, those things are probably effective, but what more is effective is figuring out what's sticky on the inside and what, when you look in that mirror, prevents you from loving the person looking back. Absolutely. I mean, those, those things are surface level, right? They're symptomatic. They work short term. Sometimes, sometimes they, sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they work with one kid, but not another kid. They're symptomatic. And they're well-meaning. It's well-meaning advice, right? But until you go to the root cause of all these issues, it's it's a never-ending loop, right? And, when, and at that root is this issue of loving yourself, forgiving yourself, having com true compassion for yourself, all parts of you. And then from there, now you can go out into the world in relation with other people. 
Beautiful. And so as we wrap up this episode, which I almost don't want to wrap up because this, the conversation is going so well, what is a parting piece of advice that you want to make sure that every dad hears right into their heart that cuts the core of what they need to hear from your message? That it's never too late. It's never too late. And every human being has the capacity to change. And you don't need to wait until you hit rock bottom. You don't need to wait until you are on the verge of losing your family, on the verge of losing your job, or on the verge of losing your mind. You can start right now. Right now, today, every person can start by reflecting, taking a moment, slowing down, taking a moment to look at yourself and see how can I love on myself today? In one small way, just one small thing. What can I do today to show myself love? Well said. And I can't, that, and that advice hits me as well because there's so many days, especially during this winter break where the kids have been home virtually, where I just feel like I'm in a dinghy waiting for it to all be over. And like, I, I'll change when, it, when they go back to school. But so many times where I, I have to just kind of wake up every day and, okay, that didn't work yesterday. I'm going to try this every day. And there's always another opportunity. As long as you wake up, you got another day to try it. And it proves that like within 24 hours, something completely changed. What are you feeling? So Rachel, if people want to understand more about what your work is or anywhere they want to get more connected with you, where's a good place to get a hold of you? My website is a place to get a hold of me, sagacitylab.com. Otherwise, I'm also on Instagram, underscore Rachel Duffy Coach, underscore. Or just old-fashioned email, info at sagacitylab.com. I respond to every single email I receive, and I would be honored to support uh, any one of your listeners. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on the podcast. And I know this podcast episode cut through a lot of crap and truth that people were holding in their head. And I often talk that there's a lot of things that men come up with every day to tell themselves that oh, this is how the world works and this is what has to be true in order for me to keep living. I feel like we called a lot of those spades a spade and call bullshit. When it, and that's what this episode I think did for a lot of men is getting them to re-ask big, big questions about maybe what I need to change. And like you said, that change can start right now at the very first time your kid's crying and you'd be like, okay, I'm not going to tell them to stop crying. I'm going to find a different response. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been my honor. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Rachel Duffy. This episode dove into so many different areas that it was really hard to pick what my biggest takeaway of this episode was. But for me, if I had to pick one, which is this segment requires me to pick one, so I have to. If I have to pick one, it would be just the ability to look inward and the ability to reparent yourself, that you always have a choice to begin to reparent yourself. And there's a philosophy within that of choosing to love yourself first. That, to me, was a core, core message of Rachel's conversation with me where she talks about being able to love yourself first and loving yourself first allows you to give it more in a freer manner. And when you give it in a freer manner, there isn't strings attached. You're not trying to have your own human needs being met. And all of that right there, that little short bit, learning to love yourself again, learning to start inward, learning to reparent how you were parented. And that allows you to make a choice. 
that the next time, like I pointed out when my daughter says or is starting to scream or starting to cry, telling her to stop crying is essentially denying her the right that she has to have that feeling. And as I was diving into the idea of having an emotion be sticky, there was so much inner truth in my own life that I could feel different emotions getting stickier. And they were stickier because there are core, deep memories that I can remember like it was yesterday that get triggered with a lot of these where I felt either maybe defenseless or helpless. And it's that stickiness that keeps them there. It's that stickiness that creates thorns that hurt the people we end up wanting to love the most in our life, whether it be our wife, whether it be our kids, or whether it be a coworker in some cases. Whatever it may be, that stickiness is something that we need to work on. And it's that stickiness is going to allow us to begin to start loving ourselves. Because when you can start loving yourself without that stickiness, it flows through you as a conduit. And you become a conduit for everyone else around you that needs love. And you're doing it from a place of giving, not a place of needing. And so to me, learning to love yourself at the core of that message is recognizing that you have control over that. A couple weeks ago, I did an episode on controlling what you can control. And this was a perfect example of that because everything that I just said is 100% in your control. You don't need anybody else's approval. You don't need anybody else's consent. It is 100% in your control to recognize what is sticky, figure out why is it sticky, and begin to learn to let go, even just creating a consciousness to it, and even beginning to understand that when this feeling is triggered, being aware of it, and then trying to make a different choice. That is 100% under your control. And that's the best part of that advice, because so much of the advice that you hear within marriage, or even just what you do in life, it's so easy to say, I can't do this because of X person. I can't get a raise because this person just got promoted to that position last week. I can't get a raise because the company's not doing well enough. All of those create you as the victim. What this question, what this conversation does, it empowers you as the individual to go from victim to empowered. When you go from victim to empowered, you begin to start doing the things in your life that are going to start moving the needle and you start taking those steps to come back home to your family. With that, I'll talk to you guys again on Friday.